Hey guys, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. We're going to be in a series that revolves around the book of Galatians. Last week we had like a, an introduction by following the events of what happened after Jesus died, immediately after Jesus died. And we followed those events all the way up to the conversion of Saul, who wrote Galatians. So today we're going to be in the first few verses of this book, try to be in the opening part of this epistle, and our goal will be to try to figure out a little more about who Saul is and really why he's writing this letter. So let's look to Galatians chapter 1. The book of Galatians is, uh, well, it's more of a letter than it is a book, uh, but because it's referred to as a book of the Bible, uh, it's, it's just known as a book. But as we enter this text, there's a couple things we need to be aware of. Uh, the first thing is that, that this is a letter, uh, and it's written like how an ancient letter would be written. So that means we would have a, a formal introduction where the writer introduces themselves and kind of introduce anyone who's with them who wants to say hi, and they offer a greeting to the recipients. Usually a, a thanksgiving is kind of thrown in there too. Then the, you move into the body of the letter, where that you can, from there you can find the purpose and, and kind of understand what the theme of the letter is, is trying to be about. And specifically for Pauline letters, which, which is what this type of letter is, the first section of the, the body is usually a, a teaching or presenting theology or combating an argument. And, and then the second part is taking that previ- previously established theology or you know whatever it might be and addressing the recipients of the letter specifically with it. Then after that, we have the, the goodbye portion, the farewell portion, where it's like, you know, tell so-and-so about how much I miss them, and so-and-so here says hi to you there. And then there's some final instruction and a, and a benediction. This is a, a simplified format, of course, but you get the idea. This was a letter that was written, well, I, it probably was dictated, but it's a letter from a person to a specific audience, I guess. So that's the first thing we need to be aware of. The, the other thing that we should be aware of is that this is only one side of a conversation. It's kind of like, like you can hear your buddy talk on the phone, and you can hear what they're saying, like who kind of maybe who they're talking to, and, and based on what they're saying, you can kind of figure out what the conversation is about. And so with epistles in general, we have to do a, a, little, a little extra detective work in order to understand the broader conversation. So those are just two things that we need to be aware of uh, in regard to this kind of biblical literature. In regards to Galatians itself, historical context is really helpful. That's why last week we followed the historical events of Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and also the, the conversion of Saul. All of these things help color in the, the backdrop to this letter. Because without them, we really, 
we really wouldn't know who the author is. And also, a, a lot of the content of this letter, I mean, it'd be, like, it'd be like water under a bridge we never crossed. So, with that in mind, I, I want to take a minute and share just a little bit more about Saul's story before we enter into Galatians. Because once we enter it, you'll notice that the first word of this introduction, it's, it's a name, but it's not Saul, it's Paul. And so I, I want to talk about why Saul is, is introducing himself as Paul. After his encounter, after Saul's encounter with Jesus, while he was traveling to Damascus, and then also later when he met a disciple named Ananias, Saul became a dedicated follower of Jesus. The, the term Christianity, it, it really wasn't used then. That word came later. They just called it the way. Like they were known as followers of the way with a capital W. It was a reference to one of Jesus' teachings. So Saul became a, a follower of the way, and he started to become pretty well known to, to just people around because he was this great persecutor of the church who converted and became a member of it. And that's a really exciting thing to talk about for, for people to kind of gossip about. Now, after a few years, if we skip ahead quite a bit, <laughs> Saul became a a leading figure in a church in a town uh, called Antioch. But, okay, we're skipping a lot, but we'll we'll, we'll come back to it later. While Saul was at this church, the the leaders were having a prayer meeting, and and they they came to this realization. I'll read it from the book of Acts. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, during the the, the time kind of in between when Saul had met Jesus and who's waiting for Ananias. We find out that God had something very specific in mind for Saul. This is what God told Saul, or I'm sorry, told Ananias about Saul. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. So if we were reading the, the book of Acts chronologically, then this would be something that, that we would have in mind when we, when we find out that Saul has been set apart for the Lord's work while he was in Antioch. Yeah, there, there might be some. Now, I guess to help those who, who might not know, Gentile or, or Gentiles, I guess you could say is a, a designation or a title for people who are not Jewish. So that's a lot of people. It's, it's kind of looking from a people group at every other people group. So that's a lot of people, but it's, it's also a lot of different cultures. But something that all the Mediterranean world shared was a universal language because of the Roman occupation. They just kind of used a language to communicate. And, and this is where we get the name change. Saul became, becomes known as Paul. 
because Saul is a Hebrew name, but Paul is the Greek version of that name. And, and so in the book of Acts, where all of this has been recorded, the author who, who wrote it, Luke, is using this name change as a literary device to signal a change of direction. Because from this point onward, Saul is referred to and known by others as Paul. He doesn't necessarily change his name. He just refers to his name from the perspective of another language, which is Greek, specifically Koine Greek, which was the universal language at the time. Interesting that it wasn't Latin. This change was meant to emphasize Saul's mission. He was set aside by the Lord to reach the Gentiles of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the letter of Galatians. So Paul, as he's now known, or I guess referred to, he, he went on several missionary journeys, which is recorded in the book of Acts. And he established churches in a region called Galatia. And so from Acts, we're able to know that he's writing this letter to people that he has met and interacted with. And that's kind of helpful. That's kind of useful for us to know because sometimes we don't know if he knows who he's writing to or sometimes we find out later in the letter because he mentions how he wants to visit or, you know, something like that. The book of Acts is crucial in understanding who Paul is because, I mean, without it, we, we wouldn't have any idea about his encounter with the risen Jesus or his calling and appointment to reach out to the Gentiles. So, with this fresh context from Acts, let's look at the introduction of this letter. It starts off introducing who it's from. So, the first word of the letter is Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Also, uh, along with all the brothers, this is from all the brothers who are with me. So the introduction says that this is uh, th this letter is from Paul and all the brothers who are with him. Now, theologically speaking, the church is often referred to as a family of brothers and sisters because we have been adopted through Jesus' sacrificial payment that satisfies God's righteous wrath towards sin and because of that, we are now adopted into the family of God. So when Paul or really any of the other church fathers refer to people as brothers and sisters, it's most likely that they're not talking about a biological relation, but rather a spiritual relationship made possible through Jesus Christ. And to go a step further, brothers and sisters, typically they're, they're being addressed or uh, referred to when they simply say brothers. It, it just includes both. So this letter is from Paul, who we know from Acts has been set aside for the Lord's work, and it's from the fellow Christians who are with him. Now, there's something interesting uh, in, in how Paul describes himself. This is what he says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul calls himself an apostle, 
and then he defines his, I guess you would say, his appointment to apostleship, like how he attained his title and his position. He says that he was not appointed by men, nor through the will of men. So the the twelve disciples who followed Jesus, they had to replace one, but the, the twelve disciples who followed Jesus, they're referred to as uh, apostles. And Paul's saying, these guys, they didn't make me an apostle. It, it was through Jesus and God the Father that I was appointed an apostle. Now, I guess apostleship, it's good to, to understand this. Apostleship was a high position of authority that the universal church recognized as a central source of both direction and correction. Remember, the early church, they didn't have the full Bible that we have today. It was still being completed by these apostles and others who were with them. So Paul is establishing in the first sentence of this letter his authority of giving direction and offering correction, like as if it's a specific ordinance of God. Now, with this understanding, we begin to sense an urgent undertone behind this writing. It's almost as if Paul's defending himself and setting up a defense for the message that he had given to them when he was on his missionary journey and and visited them. Let's look at verse 3. Remember, this is still the introduction, so this is the greeting now. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember, we're still in the introduction of this letter, so this is who's being addressed, the churches of Galatia. So this letter would probably arrive at one of the churches in the area, and it would probably be read aloud to everyone in the congregation, everyone who is in the church, And, and then it would get passed on to the other churches until everyone had a chance to hear it. But notice the greeting that Paul gives these brothers and sisters. Verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like a continuous thought, you know? It just keeps going. (laughs) He could have just said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he could have stopped there. That is a sufficient greeting. But Paul goes on purposefully, and he reminds the Galatians what Jesus did on the cross, what that means for people, why Jesus died on the cross, and who ultimately should receive the glory for Jesus' act of sacrifice. This is called the chiasmus, the, the way that it's formatted. Paul is establishing the basis for his defense of the gospel by reminding the Galatians of the crucial truth that Jesus is the only way to God. Let's look at verse 6. 
this is where we kind of exit the introduction and the uh, the typical pleasantries, and we we enter in, into what you could call the the meat of the letter. Verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the, the sense of urgency is, is kind of understood now. Paul is preparing to, to argue against competitive ideas that were creeping into this, these churches and defend the gospel from any sort of distortion. From these verses, it, it appears that there were some people in the Galatian churches who were attacking Paul, who, who were like minimizing his authority and adding on to, or in Paul's words, distorting the gospel that he had shared with them. Because Paul's call to action for the Galatians is to remember the gospel that was first shared with them and to turn away from the things that were now being promoted. Let's look at this paragraph sentence by sentence, and, and we can really kind of observe what Paul's saying. It, it's kind of hard to separate these sentences because there's a lot of fragments and, and run-on sentences, but we'll go thought by thought and, and just carry that through. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, the, the, the specific amount of time that's mentioned here, I'm astonished at how quickly you're deserting him. It's not really specific. We, we don't know if he's talking about a, a recentness to their conversion, a, a recent visit from Paul, or even the arrival of the people who are now leading them astray. We don't know. But whatever it is, it's, it's something that caught Paul off guard. He wasn't prepared to, to receive this kind of news. Now, the pronouns in this sentence are kind of important. We have I, uh, I am astonished, so that's Paul. Uh, we have you, uh, that's, that's the Galatians, he's talking to them. And there's also another one, there's him. You're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So this is, this is someone else. It's not the Galatians, and it's not Paul. You are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're now turning to a different gospel. This is talking about God, because God has a proven desire that all the people of the world should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Paul is rebuking the Galatians for receiving this knowledge and walking away from it. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We can tell from this rebuke 
that this desertion is not yet complete. It's still something that's happening. They are in the process of deserting God. But the way in which Paul rebukes the Galatians by, by how he says this, he also presents the correction that they need. The Galatians were deserting God, who had called, who had called them, who had called the Galatians through the grace of Christ, and they were turning to something else. But it's only through the grace of Christ that someone could be reconciled to God. That's the message of the gospel. And that's something Paul notes in verse 7. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul makes a distinction between the gospel of Christ and anything else, what he calls the gospel of distortion. He doesn't allow room for two gospels. He just says there's one and anything else is a distorted form of the original. Also, he he mentions how the Galatians were deserting God. They were being led away by some who trouble you. So this doesn't mean that they were forced to to do something because of threats, but they were probably being coerced by at least a couple people because there are some who trouble you. So that, that makes me think there's more than one. So they were probably being coerced by at least a couple people to adopt something in particular into their religious practice and their belief. But even though people were leading them away from God's gospel with some incompatible teaching, the Galatians were still at fault because ultimately they they were the ones walking away from God. So Paul continues his rebuke by warning them of accepting anything that adds or changes the original gospel of Christ. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul invokes a curse against anyone who might distort the gospel, himself included, even if we... (laughs) Or an angel from heaven, who's like we're known as messengers of God. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we already preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul seems to be taking inspiration from a or from the covenantal law in the Old Testament there would be a curse, or curses, for for those who accepted the law and failed to keep it. And similarly here, Paul declares a curse on those who fail to keep the original gospel, but instead change it. As we go farther in this letter, we'll soon learn that the particular distortion that the Galatians were dealing with involved keeping the Old Testament law, or certain aspects of it. So Paul's being a little cheeky here by calling out something that they're probably afraid of, receiving a curse. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again. 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So from this introduction and from these rebukes, we have a pretty good idea as to what this letter is going to be about. Paul is defending the authority that God gave him, and he's defending the message that he gave to the, to the Galatians. And as we move through this letter, we'll soon find out a lot more about Paul and the specific passion that he has for the gospel. And it will be great because along with that will come several important clarifications for how we should live out the Christian faith. I'm excited for this study in Galatians. Next week, we're going to hop into the rest of chapter 1 and look at Paul's continued argument for his appointed apostleship. And that's really important for us because Paul authored a lot of content in the New Testament. And if he didn't have a divine authority for his teachings, then a large chunk of the Bible would be in question. So this this is important for us to, to go through. Now, I would encourage you, if you have the time, read through Galatians in preparation for our study. It only takes about half an hour. If you want to go slow, maybe like 40 minutes. But it would be great for these studies if you have the full context of this letter in mind. Now, I want to just take a minute and, and say just how much I appreciate you and, and I want to thank you for your continued prayers. This ministry, it, it would be a, a shell of itself if it wasn't for the power of prayer. And so thank you for partnering with us in, in praying for this ministry and supporting us in this way. Thank you. Until next week, I'll catch you later.